Dr. Kate Milhouse was raised in various areas of Australia. She had a variety of pets growing up and began riding horses at a young age as well, stirring her interest in veterinary medicine. She earned her veterinary degree from Murdoch University in 1998. Afterwards, she spent time in mixed animal practice in Australia, and following that, did locum work in the United Kingdom for two years. While in the UK, she began her integrated medicine journey by taking a short course in acupuncture and starting a three-year course in veterinary homeopathy through the Homeopathic Professional Teaching Group. Upon her return to Australia, she took the IVIS acupuncture course, received training in Chinese herbal medicine at the Sydney Institute of Traditional Chinese Medicine, and completed the food therapy course from Qi University. In 2005, she founded her practice, Holistic Paws, where she offers acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, homeopathy, and nutrition for her small animal patients. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Kate Milhouse as we discuss her education, practice experience, holistic training, and the practicalities of a solo doctor holistic practice. Dr. Milhouse, thanks for talking today. Thanks for having me. Where were you raised? Oh, well, um, I think I'm just Australian all over. Um, I was born up in Dampier, which is the northwest coast of Western Australia, back in the 70s where Red Dog uh, ruled the Pribara region. Um, I then moved to Sydney for, for early primary school um, and then to Adelaide for late primary school and high school. Um, yeah, so I've probably got more memories of Sydney and of Adelaide, but uh, yeah, I don't think I call anywhere particularly home, actually, in Australia. I, I think I, um, yeah, I really sort of emphasise with, um, with Red Dog and like to travel and wander around the place quite a bit. Good, good. Did you have a lot of pets growing up? Yeah, we had, um, well, my brother had a budgie. We, we had a dog, um, an old English sheep dog. But then when I moved to Adelaide, uh, I was allowed to start horse riding. So, yeah, I had a lot of um, horse riding, spent all my time down at the horse paddocks, um, yeah, throughout all of high school, yeah, my whole time. So absolutely loved being out there with the, with the horses. Is that when you started riding, was in your teens? Yeah, probably uh, late primary school. Um, oh, okay. so yeah, I started off with just lessons, um, and then got my first little pony. She was uh, a little, little Welsh cross quarter horse, uh, very green. She was only four. Um, I must have been only about 11 or 12 when I got her, and we just taught each other. So we ended up going through to quite a decent amount of course, She wasn't the best confirmation, but we ended up going through to elementary dressage and state dressage competitions. and. Yeah, a lot of um, one-day events and, you know, she was fantastic. And then my second horse uh, was a thoroughbred, um, off-the-track thoroughbred. He had lovely movement for dressage, but he preferred to have all four legs off the ground at one time. So we ended up doing a lot more show jumping with him um, through, yeah, later high school times. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So that pony took care of you? Yeah, she did. She was she was my soulmate. Um, both of them were actually. Um, but yeah, Kit was like my second horse. It was yeah, definitely he was my he was my buddy. Um, I I did have a lot of grief actually having to let go of him, and I he was actually one of the those animals that taught you a lot, and and especially for natural therapies. Um, it's where I started looking 
into some of the natural therapies, I guess, in a way, because when I had to let him go, um, Rachel was, uh, he he went to a home that actually didn't work out for him and then another lady had looked at him, uh, Rachel, who ended up just taking him um, and had to ride him because he was just uncontrollable when he went to this other property and I think it was just pure grief of leaving me Um, and she had to ride him up to her property up the road and um, he ended up actually started to strike his head and and shake and um, she ended up coming into university the year after me actually in the vet school and um, she told me that that her vet was going to actually as soon as they euthanized him they were actually going to post-mortem him and uh, and look at what was going on in his brain and, and that sort of horrified me and, and I actually didn't really talk to her again and I, I'm sure she thought I was a snob but I just didn't want to know what happened to him. But I'm sure there was a lot of emotions and things caught up with him because he was he was my buddy. He yeah, he would follow me anywhere, we'd do anything together. Um and yeah, I, I I'm sure there's a lot of grief was tied up with, with what went on with him. Oh yeah, that must have been really painful. It was. It was hard, yeah. When did you think that you want to be a veterinarian? Oh, oh I think I always knew that. Um Mum said that I always talked at kindergarten that I wanted to be a lady that rode horses in the races uh, when I was in kindy. But I think from as far as I can remember, I always wanted to work with animals. So probably definitely from primary school onwards. What was your uh, veterinary school experience like? Oh, well, I've got my social anxiety, so I probably didn't fit in the best. Um, When I first moved to Perth, I lived with my great aunt and my great uncle. And they lived through the Depression eras. So they would bulk buy food and feed it to me for about two weeks in a row just to save a bit of money. So you get like this big bag of horse carrots and you'd eat carrot soup for like two weeks in a row. Um, or they'd come home with like tomato sauce that was, you know, 50 cents off and like six bottles of it. And I'm like, oh, what are we going to be eating for the next two weeks with tomato sauce? Um, but because of my social anxieties and that, and because where I was living, I ended up getting a job um, at a live-in vet clinic um, as a used to do the after-hours work, you know, you answer the phones. Um, that was the Morley Vet Clinic in Perth. So it, um, yeah, it, it sort of kept me focused on work rather than actually probably more on the social life, I guess, at university. What uh, was that? A small animal clinic or mixed? Or- um, it was a really good clinic. It was a ASAVA accredited um, practice. So there was some really good medicine that went on there. So, um, But it was a fairly big practice. Um, there was two of us that lived there at the time. We, we just answered the phones at night, admitted the animals, called the vet when necessary. So. That must have been a good experience. It was, and I really loved the emergency medicine. It was it was definitely something that I was going to continue when I, when I left uni. I really wanted to work in emergency areas because it's the one form of conventional medicine where you know what you did got the animal better. Um, it wasn't like an animal came in with a bit of a fever and you're going, well, what, where's the infection or is it just inflammation? You give it antibiotics and, you know, some of them just get, get better anyway no matter what you did with them. So... You knew with emergency medicine when they get better and it's exactly what you've done with them. So I did I did love the emergency medicine side of it from there. Did you, um, were the nighttime hours, did that appeal to you? Uh, no. <laughs> you do you do get very tired fairly quickly. Um, 
you probably could have continued it on for a period of your life, but I definitely don't think it's it's um, going to suit everybody for, for their life. Yeah, it, I can see why, you know, all these practices were gone to having, you know, one emergency centre or two emergency centres within a city um, and not everyone not doing their after hours, yeah. Oh, sure. So w- what kind of practice did you join when you graduated? I, I then moved over to Canberra. Um, Look, you know, Morley was a great practice, but it was fairly big and I thought maybe I, and I did want to go back to doing some horse work and so I thought maybe a, a small um, family-owned sort of little practice that did some horse work and occasional hobby farming would have been good. Um, so that's where I started for the next sort of two years. Um, probably wasn't the best run practice um there was certainly some it was a very big difference between obviously going from a asaba accredited practice to um things that probably weren't done as as well as what we what they should have been um and yeah so then i um i left after two years and i went over to uk and locumed for a couple of years over in in uk what sort of practices did you work at uh, in the UK then? Well, when I first went over, I actually remember having dinner with actually one of the colleagues I first started working with. Um, she left after a year from that practice and went into the public service. And we had dinner and she says, oh, gosh, it'd be lovely to come over to work in the UK. I wish I was doing what you did. And on the way over, I, I, I did have a little holiday on the way over, but um, during that holiday, foot and mouth um, started up in the UK. And then as I turned up, um, this colleague had already got over there to start working with the foot and mouth um, outbreak and, and ended up working back with her again for a couple of months doing foot and mouth work, which wasn't the most pleasant of work to be doing. Um, but, yeah, it, it was something that needed to be done at the time. And and then I went to more small animal practices. Um, I felt with small animal work, um, you tend to work a little bit more with the clients. Um, you, you tend to sort of be able to talk to them. You can be able to find out what sort of where they would like to go, what options they can have. Where I found here in Canberra, we have um, try not to be rude about clients. I've got lots of wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. But Canberra, for those who don't know, is the the capital of Australia. But we have a lot of government departments here and a lot of public servants. And there tends to be a bit of a type that works for the public service. So with the horsey clients here, they were very dictatorial in what they wanted done and it didn't make working with the horse world um, particularly enjoyable. So I found working with the small animals a lot easier to communicate with the clients and, and be able to form a lot more relationships of, of where, where we can work with the animals. Sure. So, so how I many practices? Yeah, to how many- small animal practices after that. Yeah, how many how many practices did you uh, work for while you're in the UK? Oh, um, I don't think about that. No, I did a lot. There was some, there was certainly some short term locuming for two or four weeks at different practices. Um, probably about three or four of them, and then there was one that I worked at for about eleven months while I was there. So, uh, how long were you there in, in total? Um, just over two years. Yeah, just over two years. So. Yeah, and again, different different practices, you know, from the most dodgiest, worst practice I think I have ever worked for in my life um, through to, again, you know, some really good quality practices. Um, I did do some locuming again at one of the um, 
emergency centres um, as well for a few nights there. Probably nice to get this, some sort of varied experience though, yeah? Yeah, definitely. It, it does certainly help you become aware of where you want to work and how you want to go. Yeah. So, so when, when you came back home, where did you go to work then? Um, I did again do a little bit part-time work at a few practices um, here. Um, I, I think I then sort of started concentrating a little bit more on studies. So when I was actually in UK, um, I was able to do a very Western-based acupuncture course. Um, and that was with Sam Scott and Mike Cummins. Um, it was only done over two weekends, but it certainly did start give me an introduction to acupuncture. Uh, and then I actually that's also when I started doing my homeopathy courses through the Glasgow Homeopathy Hospital as well as the Homeopathic Professional Teaching Group. So when I came back here, um, Ivers had, we were starting to do the Ivers course again um, through the amazing practitioners of Eureka um, Worth. Carl Muller and Alan Salton. And then we also had Chris Robinson and we also had the very great Kerry Ridgway came over. Um, so I probably was just concentrating a little bit more on doing some studies at that stage. And I sort of just did some little bit part-time work and, and worked at a few practices around here locally first. What got um, you interested in holistic medicine? Yeah, I think I always have been. I had a really great high school teacher, um, a science teacher for years seven, eight, and nine called Chris Easton. And he never, ever answered any of our questions with an answer. He always answered us back with a question. So he always made us keep on thinking and wondering. And he always taught us that if you see something happen, don't just write it off. Always keep asking questions and always keep wondering why and what things happens. Um, and I remember at uni um, doing the after hours work, I wouldn't get any epileptic cases at all for months. And then suddenly I'll get four on one night. And I'd be walking back down to the flat um, in the middle of the night and I'd look up and there's the full moon. And I remember asking uh, when we did epilepsy at um, university, I remember asking the lecturer about the full moon and any coincidences and he pretty much laughed at me and half the class laughed at me as well. I'm seeing this like I'd, I'd go months and then I'd see a whole lot of cases around the full moon there's got to be some correlations going on here um or you know like you talk to the equine lecturers and you'd say but my horses used to improve when you get body work and chiros come out and you know they'd laugh at you and say oh no if the horse is backward out it wouldn't be walking there's no such thing as the as chiropractic helping um, but I always had this teacher that kept asking, if you see something, keep asking. And, and I did. And you, you know, you start to, when you start working in medicine, it doesn't have all the answers. Um, there's certainly things that, that happen that you can't explain. I mean, that's why we've got the terminology idiopathic. And yeah, so it started getting me into seeing things happening also with the natural therapies and saying there's definitely more treatment options and there's definitely more, um, options for people out there. What attracted you to homeopathy? I actually don't know. Um, I think I think there was actually quite a lot of clients. So I think at that time in UK there was about four hospitals that were practicing with homeopathy. Definitely three. I think there might have even been four. I think one closed down. Um, that were practicing homeopathy. So, and I actually had um, a case which I didn't think was 
was going to get any better. And, and the client actually came back in a couple of months, I think, later and actually showed me and said, look at this. And I thought, oh, that shouldn't have got better with that with homeopathy. So this, the course came up that was actually done at the Glasgow Hospital. It was taught by doctors, not taught by um, you know, naturopaths at that, at that time. Um, and the, the, the videos and the lectures and what they and the evidence they had was just amazing. And, and I remember sitting there going, wow, this is something that this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like I don't want to actually practice conventional medicine anymore. I want to go do these sorts of natural therapies. This is amazing. Um, yeah, their, their cases just blew you away. You can't argue with them. It was, it was amazing. So, I mean, there, there was definitely things that then occurred in my life where it's then sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, no, you still do need to use conventional medicine. That it still is life-saving, um, certainly from my own health experiences. So, which was pretty hard then having to rely on conventional medicine for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah, the the cases and things that you see with these, you know, taught by doctors was, was yeah, you can't argue with it really. So you started your homeopathy training while you were there in the UK. Then did you have to finish it once you got back home? I did, yes. I actually ended up doing another year with them there. And then when I came home, there was um, – I still had my um, – I could still go back to UK and work. I still had a four-year work visa. So I went back and I think I actually did through the Irish course to finish it off the last year. But when I went over, I could actually – I think some of the courses were only um, a few weeks apart or even seven weeks apart. So I could actually go back and locum between the, um, the courses just sort of pay for my accommodation and earn some money. Um, and then and then come back. So I so I did sort of finish. I started off at um, started at Glasgow. Went to Oxford, I think it was. It was a place near Oxford, and then went to Ireland for the for the final course. Yeah. So were you training alongside veterinarians and other human health providers, or what was your class? The yeah, the classes? so in yeah. Glasgow it was a lot of doctors, um, and there was only a couple of vets in the class. Um, I think they also were teaching for podiatrists. Um, but then when I went to the Oxford, they sort of got divided up a little bit. So it really was just with the vets that were in the class. Um, and then when we went to Ireland, it was done mainly with the vets that were there. And uh, were the veterinarian uh, students, were they from all over or just from the UK? Uh, yeah, mainly from the UK. There was one girl who was from Brazil and our homeopathy is quite big in Brazil. Um, and I remember she couldn't work as a vet actually in the UK and she was working just as a shop retail assistant, just, and she was hating it, but she said, all I'm doing this for is just to earn enough money to be able to do the course. Um, she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, so, yeah, but we were all vets generally by training um, originally. Gotcha. So you were, you were, then you were back home and kind of commuting back and forth, taking, and what happened when you finished your, finished your courses? Did you go into practice full-time or what happened after that? Uh, well, it was all around the time of having children, but I, I did start setting up my own practice in 2005 just doing the natural therapy, so just doing consultations. And it basically after I had children, I did actually suffer some fatigue issues and fatigue problems. So I really couldn't go back into full-time work. It wouldn't have been very fair on, a, on an employer. Um, but I've been able to build up a practice with children and started to introduce for you know the acupuncture, the homeopathy, 
Um, in 2008, Barbara was, the CIVT was set up at that stage, but I don't think it was all set up as online courses just then. And so we had, we did the um, the herbal course um, uh, and that was done up in Sydney. And, and then I was able to then start doing herbal medicine. Um, and yeah, my practice has just basically grown. So I do have a few conventional drugs hidden aside in the cupboard, but I'm pretty much just doing uh, consultations now with um, all, the, all the natural sides of therapies. So if, if my math's correct, then your practice is 18 years old now? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So uh, let's talk about the your practice then. So you're the only doctor, yeah? Yes. And do you have uh, staff? No, it's just me still. Um I have. I did think about actually um, quite a few years ago expanding and actually having a full practice. So we actually bought a, a house which was attached to shops. Canberra is a very funny suburb. You've, you've got all your suburbs away and you've got these little tiny shopping centres, but it's not like a normal city where you have shops on your main street. Um, but we have these little tiny centres and so there was a little tiny shopping centre in a suburb and, and they have their houses attached to it. So originally we did live there for sort of 15 years um, and it had commercial zoning on it so I could sort of operate um, my business out of there. And originally we were going to move out and then use that whole premise as a full vet practice. But I kind of, the, the patients come in and they love just having this little spa session for their animals. It's peaceful, it's quiet, the animals love coming in. It's not like they go into a normal vet centre and they get scared or shaking from a bad experience. Um, owners seem to be quite happy having their conventional vets on the side and then still coming in to see me um, for their, their spa treatment for their animal. So we decided that we needed a we didn't want to live there at the shops forever, so we ended up selling and, and buying a slightly bigger home, um, probably in a better suburb for the schooling for the kids, and I've got a little flat out the back that I can actually use um, for it. I do have to obviously watch how many animals I come in a week with um, having a home business from home, but um, it means I can do varied hours um, around work and around children, um, still have enough time for them, but still have, be able to you know duck in for work for clients. Oh, that sounds really nice. So initially when you started in 2005, you said, how did you, uh, how did clients find you? A lot was just word of mouth. Um, I didn't have a, um, oh, I might have actually just started a website up around about then, um, but I, I definitely didn't advertise much. I, we had the yellow pages. Um, a lot of it, I yeah, was just word of mouth. I didn't actually, I've, I've never had to really push my advertising. Um, I do find that the better clients are word of mouth clients. I, I do find that sometimes the people that just find you on the internet and email aren't always, they're fishing, but they're not always interested in what you need to do. You've got enough time in now that you've probably got a lot of a good base of people that uh, do give word of mouth for you, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you, you get the, there's a couple of clientels that you get. Um, the one main one that I deal with a lot with is that they've been to their conventional vets, the animals aren't getting better, and they want something else. So they're generally the better clients, um, and you're you know, really able to turn these animals around. Some of them are now coming back in, or a lot of them are now coming back in with their new puppies or kittens, and they're like, no, I want to do it your way. I want to do it from the beginning. You know, they want to teeter test their animals. They want to um, 
you know, test for worms rather than actually, you know, keep on just with conventional drugs. They want to start the natural diets from the word go. They um, they just want to minimise the drugs and do what they can as the, be- the best for them. So I've got those ones coming back in. Um, I still do have those clients that come in that are very proud that they've never taken their animal to a vet ever in their life and you sort of lift the lip of the of the dog's mouth and you have a look at their mouth and you go, oh, I really think you need to go get some dentistry done on this dog, you know, like this is really needing to be, be worked on here. Uh, so you still get those sorts of clients um, which, you know, really should be attending vets as well. It's nice, though, you're probably, uh, with that trust you've built up, you're a, a trusted source of information for the client, you know. If you say that they need to go in and get a dental, you know, they're probably going to take that as good advice. Yeah, and we've certainly got a lovely lot of um, vets here at the moment that, um, you know, have their dentistry training and, and you know, I can certainly send them over. What's your relationship with the local practitioners, the the allopathic practitioners? Oh, look, generally really good. Um there are certainly some that don't believe very much in um, the natural therapies or they certainly don't really want to do their work with um, natural therapies at the same time. Um, but generally, overall, most are really good. You know, if clients are saying, no, I want a natural diet, they'll say, yep, go see Kate, she'll balance a diet for you. Or, yep, if you've got this back pain but we don't want to use drugs, you can go see Kate, you know. So most of them are pretty good. Most are pretty good. Do you feel like um, maybe they? Do you get a sense that you're non-threatening because you don't do any general practice? Yeah, pretty much. So I, I, I think that helps. Um, I'm not going to steal their clients for other work, and I'll always send them back for their X-rays or for their ultrasounds. Or, yeah, their further workup. Yeah. So what? Can you talk me through how now in uh, what 2024? How you? run your practice by yourself? Do clients book online? How do you schedule? How do you get people in and out? Tell me a little um, bit about I'm that. I'm still answering the phone. Um, usually there's a lot of stuff done by email these days because um, a lot of my, my clients, long-term clients, and I can't always get to the phone when I'm doing in your consult. Um, but that way I can screen it a little bit more so I know how long I need to book a consulting for so I know what sort of problems I'm dealing with Um yeah, so I can either book them in for the long consult to start with or the revisit consults. Um, philosophically, how uh, how do you feel the homeopathy works with your acupuncture and Chinese herbs? Yeah, it depends on um, the scenario. Um, look, I, I do think with homeopathy we do lose a little bit with the animals. Like we don't know what sensations they are feeling. So if it's a, a lameness case coming in, you know, you, you kind of don't know exactly what they're feeling. Um, sometimes you do get that little comment from a client, and especially if it's a there's a very strong mental symptom, I'll probably look at using the homeopathics more. But if it's a more just a pain case, I might sort of go back to the, the um, acupuncture more. Uh, my brother-in-law, who's a gardener, walked in one day and uh, just said, oh, I've got this... Um, but I don't you said burning pain, but like it's like a darning needle shooting down from my elbow down to my wrist. What have you got for me? I'm like, oh, oh, that'd be Boronio. And, and you know, it worked instantly. But, you know, most people come in saying that, oh, yeah, the dog's worse when they first get up and better when they get going. And, 
you know, you, you just don't know what they're feeling, if it's a burning pain or a sharp pain or an aching pain. And and, and that's where I'll probably just use the, the acupuncture a lot more for the physical sort of symptoms. Um, how do you work? You you must have a bit of an apothecary there and, and uh, your homeopathic remedies. Do you have to send a lot through the mail? How do you work your getting your refills to people? Uh, well, a lot of coming in, so a lot of local, or they'll come and pick them up. Um, I do have quite a few teleconference type clients from regional areas um, in the southern New South Wales area, and those ones I'll post things to them. And how about the nutrition? I, I saw that you did the uh, food therapy course through Chi. Did you do that remotely? Sorry, I did do that. Did you do the the uh, food therapy course through Chi remotely? Uh, yes. So that was a, a that was an online course. Um, so that was in 2015, and then last year I just did the. And I don't think I have a whole website yet. I haven't updated that. Um, I just did the um, CIVT um, food courses, or nutrition courses, well, the basic one. Oh, that's great. So, uh, are you formulating diets for some of your patients? Yes, very much. Yeah, yeah. I already done quite a lot, like just home learning with um, doing nutrition work. So a lot of it was just emphasizing and reinforcing that I was doing the right thing with with trying to get these diets balanced for clients. Do you uh, carry any commercial diets in your office, or do you is it do you provide any uh, recipes for your? I've got only one I'm carrying. There's, there's quite a few that I do recommend, but I just don't have the holding capacity for them all. And because I'm not doing sort of like a walk-in business, people just aren't just going to walk in and buy products. Um, I've got one that's called Bugsy, which is basically. Um, a little bit like zeewee but with vegetables so it is an, an air dried sort of meat and veggies sort of style of diet it is a single protein so um, I'm using that one for some patients when we're doing food trials but I originally started with them because they were doing freeze-dried treats um, and they had a nice freeze-dried emu which was really good for my food allergy dogs to give them treats so I, I started ordering it just mainly so I can give a variety of treats for um, some dogs while they're actually in here. And then I've got just a little bit on site to sell, but not a lot. A lot of it is encouraging people to make their diets naturally. That's nice. So uh, you do some telemedicine as well, yeah? Yes, yes. So um, I usually will get people to photograph or video their patient to send to me. So I've got a bit of an idea about um, their constitution or just having a look at their general wellness. Um, I'll actually also get them to photograph their the tongue for me so I can actually see a lot of what's going on on the inside of them as well. Oh, that's nice. So uh, I haven't asked any of your Australian colleagues, but what uh, how do how does holistic medicine fit into the larger picture in Australia as far as your um, Australian Veter Veterinary Association? Is it welcomed or where does it sit? Oh. It depends on who you speak to. So I was on the it was Holistic Vet um, uh, Committee of the AVA. Um, it's now been changed to the Integrated Vets, um, and that was back in 2010. We were met with a, quite a bit of hostility at that stage, and we were sort of struggling to stay within the AVA. Um, it has settled down a lot more so recently, Um Admittedly, I'm not being in the committee, so I'm not hearing about any of those struggles at this stage. Um, yeah, but I think we're starting to grow in numbers again. I think we're certainly starting to, I think there's certainly a lot of vets um, 
certainly the likes of, of Kelly Hall and um, Elaine um, who have set up our little Facebook group, which is a lot of Australian vets, but there are some vets from um, OCs as well. And certainly the numbers are growing and, and you will see comments on there from other vets saying, this is for my own animal, what can I do with this case? So they're starting to turn that way for their own animals. And certainly even here locally, I'll have vets that will say, oh, my own dog's been diagnosed with hemangiosarcoma, what can I do? Um, so it's sort of nice that you're actually starting to see they might not always recommend it for their for other animals, um, but they're starting to want to to look for other options for their own animals. Just kind of have to, sometimes you think you just have to win people over one at a time, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, now, is the integrative group, is that is that a separate from your Australian Veterinary Association or is it are they linked at all? Uh, the Australian Integrated Vets is actually one of the groups of the Australian Veterinary Association. Um, as well, we also have an acupuncture group um, within that as well. So there's the two groups. Some of the acupuncture people didn't obviously like um, either herbs or homeopathy side. They just wanted to keep it acupuncture. So we are able to have the two groups within the ABA. Uh, usually we alternate the conferences. Um, so we, when the ABA has the conferences, uh, alternative years we will put forward, yeah, so one, one year will be an acupuncture group and the next year will be the integrative group will put speakers forward. Um, when I was on that committee and we were um, trying to be kicked out, uh, we weren't really allowed to put holistic speakers forward. They were going to not be... Um, accepted within the ABA conference not the speakers that we wanted to hear and of course members didn't want to hear about the scientific sort of speakers so I had to I was on the um the committee or to organize conferences so I tried to put more scientific speakers forward and then we started setting up a um alternative conference on the years when we didn't put speakers forward for the ABA conference we tried to organize our little holistic sort of group and we started off having, um, you know, more holistic sort of speakers that we wanted to hear about. And that's now grown. Um, Kathy Cornack has now taken that role over and it's actually now even separated, I think, from the ABA. And I think she's actually going to do it yearly now. We're getting enough people wanting to attend and, and we get, like, yeah, some wonderful speakers. Some of it's from ourselves, but some of it's from overseas people as well speaking. So it's wonderful to see it all growing. Oh, that's really nice. So uh, would those conferences include a variety of things besides homeopathy and herbs and acupuncture? Would it involve manual therapies and that sort of thing? Yeah, yes. Um, so last year they concentrated the on musculoskeletal type issues. So they had all sorts of different um, topic or, or therapies for musculoskeletal issues. Um, so it just depends on what the topics are and who's available for speaking. That's nice kind of provide an overview of things that can apply to specific issues yeah well kate you've been uh, you've been in this for a while what's your outlook what do you are you uh, enthusiastic about the future of holistic medicine there oh i think so i think it's definitely growing and um and, and certainly becoming more more I'm, I'm, yeah i'm pretty confident it's becoming more accepted um as far as I'm going, I think I'm going to continue on doing what I'm doing. Um, I've got to wait for a couple more years for my kids to finish finish schooling before I'd actually even think whether I'm going to expand or not. Um, 
But at the moment, I certainly think there's a future for it here in Australia. Would you think uh, a possibility expansion would be bringing in another practitioner then? Yeah, possibly. I probably can't do it here. I'd have to look at actually changing over to another commercial premise somewhere. Um, it would definitely be easier working with somebody else, um, but it would be also even if they were just conventional practitioner. So you've got um, someone that's, you know, skilled in the surgery side of things or your diagnosis as, as well as having, you know, uh, the holistic side going along with it. That could be a nice combination. It seems to work for some practices for sure. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, Kate, thanks so much. It's been great hearing your story and I'm happy that your practice has been steaming along for so long and I wish you all the luck going forward. Yeah, thank you. All right. Hope to talk to you soon. All right. You too. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.